Welcome to Word of Grace, a local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. Okay, this morning we'll, we're going to share a little bit on, on uh, the book of Job. There's so much that we can learn as the church today that we can glean from. And there's so much of, a, of, t- of the type and a type of Christ a type of the self-life apart from him and a type of who we are uh, in him as represented <clears throat> by Elihu. And uh, one thing that, that God would have us know this morning, and some of these things we've said before, but they really go with what God would have us to know right now. If we can remember in our minds that the very last action of Christ in laying down his life on the cross and then the first new action of God in raising him up from the dead is something that he never wants to be separated in our thinking any more than the very last cry when he said, in John 19, verse 30, it is finished. And God's answer to that last cry that it was finished was a rent veil. That veil was rent in Matthew 27, verse 51. The veil was rent from top to bottom, and that was a type of what happened with Jesus Christ on Calvary. And we'll see that explained in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 21 and thereby in verse 22 we can draw near because if we don't understand the last action of Christ on the cross and then the first action after he rose then in our thinking we separate redemption from resurrection we separate redemption bought back into a life, resurrection, that's far above everything. And that is very soon we will enter into a very, very glorious future. So what he wants us to realize this morning, what he was trying to teach Job, what he wants to teach us is his body, flesh, and bone in Ephesians 5.30. We are his Church, we're his flock in Luke 12, verse 32. We're his church that he's building in Matthew 16, verse 18. We are his bride. We're his bride. And that's a beautiful picture as we see in Revelation 21, 1 and 2 and 3. But he wants us to realize this, and he has to bring us to this place constantly, that on him and him alone we can count. On him and him alone we are to reckon. On him and him alone we are to rest our everything. Why? Because he loves his church now, right now, as he ever has. And though your heart and my heart is weak, I mean, we struggle, 
But how many times have you and I seen his hand, his gracious hand come in when all seemed hopeless? And we've said this statement before. It's been repeated for a long time, I think. I think for centuries, too. That man's extremity is God's opportunity. And of course, it's that tr- it's true now. It's very true now in our souls. Because in us, through Christ, is where he wants us to know deliverance and to know where deliverance is. And that's something that you and I have to learn. We have to learn this, that we cannot deliver ourselves. We can't do it. And so God had to raise up a deliverer for the Israelites in bondage in Egypt. He he had to raise up Moses, the type of Christ. He was called the deliverer. Their deliverance wasn't based on themselves. They could do nothing where they were. They were held in bondage and in slavery. And God raised up a deliverer, a type of Christ, to go in and lead them out. He had to teach Job this. This was a very, very tough and hard lesson for Job, and it can be for us. One of the things in this process, and this is can be very true. In this process where God is beginning to show us that we don't have to be delivered from something, that we've already been delivered, that we don't have to reckon that we have to be delivered on certain things, but that in all things we already have been delivered and we're to reckon on it. In Romans chapter 6 And you will see the truth of that in verses 1 through 11. In this process, where God has to begin to show us things, that we have to learn these things, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.11, he had to learn in whatsoever condition that he was in. He had to learn in whatsoever condition that he was it was in to be content because in 1 Timothy 6 6 godliness or being like God with contentment is great gain we've already been made to be like him through Christ so Paul had to learn in whatsoever condition whatever his feelings were that might mean that we're in a process where God wants to work in to us in our experience, who we are in his view and our position. He wants to work in his amazing, intimate love for us. And sometimes what will be manifested in that process is rebellion in us. But it doesn't change his love. It might mean you and I being very discontent very discontent. But does that mean that he doesn't love us? Well, could it be that that rebellion and that discontentment is the learning process that in us, apart from Christ, is utter wretchedness? Romans 7, verse 24 
O wretched man that I am. We said last night, we said before, he had to get to the place where he no longer said, O wretched man that I am, how will you give me, God, what I can improve myself for you? He didn't say that. Maybe if I get this amount of truth, maybe if I pray, whatever, what, what can I do, God, to be delivered? He didn't say that. He said he had to be brought to the place like Job and like the writer in Romans 7 to the place where it was no longer I. In Romans 7, 17 and Romans 7, 20, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me this sin nature and I had to learn that that's not who I am it may be in me but thank God I am not of it I am of Christ who's made unto me wisdom righteousness sanctification and redemption in 1 Corinthians 1.30 as it is written in 1.31 of 1 Corinthians that no flesh will glory in his presence None. We, ha we have to learn that. We have to learn that in ourselves, we're wretched. So finally we get to the place of self-helplessness, self-hopelessness, and self-distrust. And finally we say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will? In other words, he's saying, I know I've come to the place. I can't do it. It's impossible. So who's going to do it? That's what Job cried out. In the midst of his trial, in Job 9, verse 33, he said, Oh, I wish there was a daysman, someone who could touch me, and someone who could touch God, and know what I'm going through, so I could know him, and then I would be able to stand before him, and look what it says, and not fear. There's no fear in love in 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in God. And what God has to do to get that love in us that's already been accomplished for us, had us in mind in detail, in every single detail, every single thing that God does is the action of his love towards us. Even if someone or something or Satan means it for evil. In Genesis 50, verse 20, God means it for what? Good. For good. It's necessary for us to learn. And God is the only one that can do that without condemning us. <laughs> See, the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, in 1 John 2, 20 and 27, he is our teacher, by the way. He's the teacher in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 16. Yes, operating through a gift, yes, but he's the teacher. He takes the things of Christ, as we've said so many times, and he shows them unto us in John 16, 13, and 14. No question about it. He's the spirit of truth that's never apart from the grace that's in Christ in John 14, 17, and in John 1, verse 14, never. You can't ever separate what love is in grace and truth. Oh, yeah. Love is very active in the activity of grace and truth. The only way I can experience truth 
is through the action of love through grace. His love is very active, every single thing about it. And so Job had to learn, Peter had to learn, Paul had to learn, and you and I have to learn that truthfully, in 2 Corinthians 4.15, all things are for our sakes. Yes, they're all, they are all for our sakes. They are all of God in 2 Corinthians 5.18. And they all work together for, for what? For good. To them that love God, what? Who are called according to what? His purpose. And his purpose, in verse 29, is to conform us, to form in us, the very image of his son. In other words, the very image of the expression of his son through our own individuality, like no one else can express. Nobody can express and manifest the intimate love of God like you and I in our own specific way. No one else can, no one can replace you. Love, God, his wisdom through Christ has made you and I irreplaceable. We're irreplaceable. All our value is in him. It's in him. It's not in ourselves. We're to look away from that unto him. Then I see my value. Then I see the value of what he values so much in his son and us. And so we, it's necessary then for him to bring us to the place of utter wretched, wretchedness so that we understand what it means to have full self-renunciation. Job and bringing and God bringing him and listen, love was bringing him there. Wherever you and I are, no matter who means it for evil, love has brought us there for it's good that includes us. Did you know that you and I can't separate us ourselves from God? Did you know there's nothing that we can do and there's nothing that anyone else can do to separate us from his love? Nothing. But Job, in learning this, he was brought to the place where he desired death rather than that process. God wants to give us some incredible definition this morning and, and how love operates through grace and how God is so faithful to himself and how he cannot and he will he will not because he cannot and he cannot because he will not deny himself so everything that he is towards us doesn't have anything to do with what we do it has to do with him and that's why love in 1 Corinthians 13 8, will never fail we may fail but that can only be the opportunity for love that doesn't fail. Sometimes that's what it takes for us. That's right. Not that we want to use grace as a license to sin in Romans 6, 1 and 15, but sometimes that's what it takes, an utter fall on our face. And then grace comes in because that's the teacher. Well, he desired death. Rather than experience the present misery that he was going through. <laughs> Yet all along, he doesn't know and he doesn't realize 
that God seeks to make him a witness of dependence on himself, listen, against Satan. It's very true. I want to repeat it. Job, like sometimes you and I don't know because we, it's so easy for us to forget God. Probably the easy, unfortunately, the easiest thing in my life is to forget him at times. But he didn't know that God sought to make him a witness of dependence on himself, God himself, against Satan. So finally, in that process, he even began to curse the day of his birth. I wish I had never been born. For someone to make that kind of a statement, if they don't know God, to make the kind of a statement that they wish they were never born can lead to suicide. But for those that do know God, that do know Him, it leads to very healthy action that do know him. It's so important to know him. Philippians 3.10, Paul said, I want to know him. And the fellowship of his resurrection, and what? And the power of his resurrection, I should say, and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you know that he suffers with us? Did you know that love, God, who he is, Christ, who intercedes for us, suffers with us, love suffers with us, because it never separates itself from us. Never. You can't separate what God puts together. You and I may be crazy, but he's the clue. called Lessons of Anguish. Lessons of Anguish. To learn before seeing the wisdom of renouncing self and that it is just the discipline of love to bring us to, to a certain place, that place where we're no longer occupied with self-vindication. And sometimes our thoughts can be like Job's three friends. <laughs> we sometimes think that our thoughts that are that can can interpret Scripture, but outside the presence and truth of God, can be like our thoughts. And we sometimes think they're our friends, really. And how tormented they can become when they become a suggestion of the trouble that's in us, but that's impossible to be reached because there's still so much of self that's left in the experience. That can be like torture, torture, those thoughts, those thoughts. But I want to stop there and and, uh, and just go into some things that God gave me, you know, that pertain to my own life. 
and I think that that can pertain to ours. And then at a later time, we can continue with Job. But I just want to share some things that I wrote down as, I, as he just had me close the Bible, close the books, and just be before him and write these things down. And this is what he wanted us to know this morning, that our failure and that failure, our own failure, is not an indication that God doesn't love us. And sometimes our thoughts come in. And at times we can be thinking that they're, in a sense, our own thoughts, in, in a sense, become friends that really aren't friends. <laughs> and begin to indicate us that because we fail, that God doesn't love us. But God, and one time God told me this, I think, years ago, that failure for the believer now, those that are in Christ, failure is included in God's plan, but it's never in the final outcome. <laughs> and so in that sense, my failure is God's opportunity where he wants to create an opening for his love to get in. My failure doesn't indicate that I don't love you. Me as, as a Christian, I'm talking about me as a Christian and as a pastor and as, as a teacher, my love towards you, towards everyone here. My, my failure is not an indication that I don't love you. When I fail you, it's not that I don't love you. I hate the failures. But at times, until I learn things, sin is always stronger than my will. And God has to bring me to the end of my will. So my failure doesn't indicate that I don't love you. My failure doesn't indicate that his love that is in me is not for you. Because it is. And God told me this morning, and he spoke to me as a Christian, as a husband, and as a pastor, <laughs> which just simply means I'm a little sheep, and he wants to shepherd people through me, to me and through me, that you need to give people time. We need to give people time. Listen, we need to give God time for ourselves and we are not to know ourselves after failure. Do you know that God doesn't know us after our failures? He doesn't treat us after our failures because they went all on his son and he removed them as far as the east is from the west. Give people time. He told me give people time because they're in my hand. I know what I'm doing. They are in my hand of grace and truth. And my grace and truth and my intimate love for them are doing its work in finishing in them what has already been completed for them. And give them time. Give yourself time and give them time. Because he said to me, as I'm doing in you, 
I am perfecting you as my vessel to manifest my son first to you, to manifest his glory to you, and to manifest that that glory is in you. And you know what? Those that fail, my son is in them, and his glory is in them, and his love is in them. And when they fail, it doesn't change his love. He doesn't attach our failures to us. He's attached himself to us that dealt with the failures in the most intimate love to express this grace and truth about who we are in him. Nothing here can touch us but that which is good to the use of edifying that it might minister and continue, love and grace to continue to minister and manifest grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4.29 He is not rejecting you. God wanted to make that very clear to me and he wants to make that very clear to us this morning. He is not rejecting you. That was the lie that Satan was speaking through Job's quote-unquote three friends. That everything that's happening to you and everything that everyone is doing to you is because God is rejecting you because of something in you. He's rejecting you. No. And he said this, said this to me. He said, write it down because he's explaining it to me personally. I am not rejecting you. I am simply rejecting in you what keeps me out. <laughs> My love for you. That's what I'm removing. Sometimes it's so-called friends, and they may mean it for evil. They may not even know it, and maybe they do. But to God, it doesn't matter. They may have meant it for evil, ignorantly or otherwise, in Genesis 50, verse 20, but God meant it for good. Meant it for good. He's not rejecting us. He's just simply removing in us what rejects his love that is for us. And yes, he is for you. No, he's not. Oh, but, but Jacob, he is. Remember when you said in 4236 of Genesis, all these things are against me, meaning somehow God had something against him when it was all working together for his good. For his good. And then I want to stop with this. And I'm just simply repeating these things. When I went like this, close this, and said, and God said, just start writing this. I'm giving you these personal thoughts. Start writing it down. You know, where we were like coal. We're like a piece of coal. Let me explain coal. Because I just took my little old dictionary out. When God said, take the dictionary out, I want to tell you about coal. And said, okay. Coal is, is black or dark brown combustible material substance consisting of carbonized vegetable matter that's used as fuel. And we, when we operate outside of him, we're like coal. Anything can burn us up and use us up like this. Anything. 
uh, what it is called. It's a piece of glowing, charred, or burnt wood or other combustible substance. When we operate in the wood of our humanity and our flesh, the trial comes in and burns. Why do you think it's called? I'd never thought of it. Why do you think it's called charcoal? Because it's been burnt. <laughs> been burnt. Oh, how many times we think we've been burnt by people. Coal. So while I said, well, if it's coal, God, and it's been, it consists of something that's been carbonized, well, then I got to look up carbon. And this is carbon. It's a chemical. It's an element that forms organic compounds in combination with hydrogen oxygen, and several other things, and but they occur in a pure state. Listen, just like a diamond. God wants to, just like a diamond, because what makes a diamond? It's the things that we don't like. <laughs> we don't like them. I'm telling you, it's the thing that I don't like. Because what makes a, di a diamond? Heat and pressure I've got to get out of here I can't stand the heat I cannot stand the pressure I would rather die than experience this misery so Job said I want, I want out because all of the stuff is against me and I always Job, I always thought and I still think that somehow God's against me but yet all these thoughts that my friends are giving me are our own thoughts outside of them that we think of friends because we think we know how to interpret the word in that state are condemning me and that somehow God has something against me he's against me a diamond the opposite of a diamond that's been crystallized and made hard. Ah, that, that's made hard. That nothing can touch it. 1 John 5, 18, the wicked one touches us not. God wants to crystallize in us through this process just about who we are in Christ. And he's making us his diamond, his jewels in Malachi 3, 16. And it takes heat. And it takes pressure. It takes affliction. It takes suffering. It takes training. It takes learning. It takes patience. Charcoal. The opposite of, of that that's in an impure state is charcoal. That's what charcoal is. Diamond is, is a pure state. Charcoal is an impure state. And God wants to get out of our thinking the impure state, because that's not who we are. He wants to crystallize in us the truth about who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And then it's so hard that nothing can penetrate that. That love. Crystallized. Crystallized. Then he said to me, what I give you in terms of gift gifts and the word of God and all of these things what I give you isn't for you to trust yourself with all the teaching all 
the grace, all the unconditional love, all the mercy, all the truth, all those truths and those doctrines and those teachings and those truths. He did not, he said this to me, I didn't give them to you for you to trust yourself with, but I gave them to you for you to trust me. I said, okay. Because I want you to trust in the giver because you can't experience the gifts that the giver gave without the life that gave them. Or you will interpret them through yourself. You will use them to hurt yourself and you will use them to hurt others. Because I want to make you, and I am making you, to become what I've already made you to be. You're a diamond. You are pure in Christ. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure. Do you know that's what he, place he wants to bring us to? That no matter what happens to us, we understand that to those that are continually being pure, all things are pure. They're meant by God to purify us. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, true, honest, and pure, just. Pure. You're to think on these things. You're, and your thinking is to be so crystallized that nothing can move you. Because the things will come in that will move us in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. There's going to be things that move us. But God is only, we've said recently and before, God will only remove in us what can be removed so that all that remains is what can't be. The crystallization and purity of who we, he's made us to be. A diamond. It's pure. It's a pure form of carbon. It's been naturally crystallized. How did it get crystallized? Through heat and pressure. Job. He's put me in the fire in 2310, but I know that I will come forth as gold. Knowing that the trying of your faith works what? Patience, because that's love worked in. 1 Peter 1.7, 2 Peter 1.7. Then he said this, that heat and that pressure, that crystallization is in the isometric system. We'll get into all those other things at another time. But it's of extreme hardness. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1. My son Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He said, be strong in it because, because I need you to be able to do this. And I'll just read these and we'll stop. And this is what he, Paul was telling Timothy. And this is what he was explaining to me about my own personal life and explaining to us this morning about what he has for all of us. He said, my son Timothy, you, you, therefore, you, you, that's all of us. That You is you. You. You, therefore, my son, you're my son. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses. Those things that you've heard have been crystallized because you've had to go through heat and pressure. They've become so pure. That your thinking is pure now. Now you know how to think about yourself and the purity of who I made you to be in Christ. And now you can think of others. No matter what process they're in, you see them that way. You see them the way that I do. 
and you see even all the failures and the purity in the light of my love. And the things that you have heard among me, among many witnesses, the same commit you to faithful men unto who, who will be able to teach others also. Why? Now, Timothy, you therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, this world system, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Hardness, crystallized, diamonds, diamonds. And then finally, what does it take to be a diamond? Once that coal has now gone into a diamond, then that has to be dug out. And that's not a lot of fun sometimes. But it has to be dug out of the earth. It has to be put in the jeweler's hands. And the jeweler has to cut it. Did you know that over 60-something percent of the diamond is cut off? And then it has to be polished. Oh, boy. Remember preaching one time? God takes a, in a local assembly that's not by accident, he'll take a lot of stones and those stones have jagged edges on them. And he puts them in a bag and he shakes them and they begin to bounce off of each other and it hurts. And it hurts. But what is he doing? He's polishing the diamond. Oh yeah. He's polishing the diamond. Polishing it. And he, because it has value. There's value in this process. Listen. It's because it's valued. And God values you and I as his precious gem. And then a diamond can be set and someone can enjoy it for years to come and even pass it on. As love being passed on. Pass it on. Pass it on. It can be enjoyed. But it also can be a tip and a tool where God can do some really work. And God can use us through the hardness that we've gone through and the crystallization of who we are in Christ to be a tool that in gentleness it can penetrate someone's hard heart. Hard. He's making us hard. This is what he told me. He said, I'm making you hard in the crystallization of who you are in your thought life through the word so that you can be gentle. You'll be my tool. You'll be my little diamond where I can inscribe in them who they are in Christ. So Lord, we thank you and praise you for your truth. So much more that we have to glean from Job. So much more. And we're just thankful, Lord, that no rejection comes from you, but that you only remove in us the blockage, that rejection that keeps that love out, that keeps out the identification of who we are. Thank you, Lord, that you don't tie your love 
to our performance. You know how your love through your grace and truth comes in when we are flat on our face, when we are hopeless and helpless. You come in and you lift us up in Psalm 42, 1 to 3. You lift us up right out of that pit of noise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening in. We hope you were blessed and God was glorified. Feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings.